0: All right, so we're going to get started this morning. I have a couple of comments here, uh, in case you didn't hear this already. Why are we wearing red today? It's Reformation Sunday, right? So, what's that? Uh, so, so I'll I'll say this to you, to you all that, um, you know, we we're we're going to keep the red up. The, the red for Pentecost and Reformation Day, and remind us that the church is in continual need of confession of sins and reformation to God's Word. And uh, I do want to address this. I, I feel like I need to address this after service. I left the microphone up at the house. <laughs> After we talked about it last I time. I know. Um, we, we need to get one more microphone, so <laughs> I don't have to take the one from the church. <clears throat> but uh, sorry about that. But, but I, I really want to emphasize, to us the purpose, um, you know, is that as a church, we do have theological as an individual congregation, okay? We have theological distinctives. Our, the CREC, um, the communion of Reformed Evangelical churches, we do have um, you know, doctrinal and biblical distinctives that make us a little different than other churches. And it is important that we do tackle hard and difficult concepts or even one might say um, you know, ideas or doctrines that are controversial or not popular, and we need to do that, and then also then remember that we are um, one large body of Christ. Um, we're going to talk about this actually in today's sermon. To you know, the text brings us uh, to that question, but but I think it is most important, right, that we realize um, how you know what we are doing. Um, we study the distinctives, but then these are our brothers and sisters. We are actually unified in Christ with all the other churches that claim Christ is the only way to forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God, right? After that, let's, let's work it out um, by breaking bread together, by coming together at our own tables of peace in our homes, you know, I've mentioned to you many times, uh, well, many times, frequently as of late, the uh, roving minister's prayer meeting that we have um, in in the county. And this last week, our prayer time was done at a truck stop up in Jessup right off of I-95. And the reason we selected that particular place is that place is known for human trafficking right so our pastors in, in the county there were a number of us we went up there and we prayed together um and you know i'll point this out with rare exception i'm the only reformed guy in the crowd okay now there could be a variety of reasons i know one other guy he comes in frequently but that's because their session meets at the same time every week to pray right so um, that's been going on for a number of years i understand that could be challenging and so sometimes he excuses himself from that and comes to us and prays with us but but i but I, I i think it's important that we recognize who the people of god are and we don't have to agree on every doctrinal point to see other christians other churches as our brothers and sisters in christ and so, if I'm going to, you know, like this last time, and I only bring this up as an illustration, okay, in some ways, I, I you know, I want to say, don't be like me, Dan Nash. In other ways, I want to say, yes, emulate this, because this is this is like Christ. And I met, uh, after the prayer time, with a young man, a, a young minister from another denomination, and he's doing some some uh div studies and uh, that's masters of divinity and he uh is doing an emphasis on the old testament and i said wonderful have i got a book for you um and you know i i just want to to talk to him share with him um you know he's got a new little child he's thinking about things actually i've got two books for him because he's thinking about um how to evangelize in his neighborhood and Um, kind of be a neighborhood guy and uh, you know the the book we went through um, when we first got here when we first started sunday school and that was get real um, about uh, you know evangelism in your neighborhood and and, um, how to be a christian in your neighborhood it was an excellent read there's a lot of great points in there so that's one i want to share with him on the active side and on the understanding scripture side yeah i'm going to have him check out through new eyes if you want to be an old testament scholar i think it's a helpful tool so and then but i can't just hand him a book and never come back right so you know give him the books next week and in a month or so you know get together have have coffee again and just chit chat but not just on those things because i don't want to simply be okay i'm going to persuade you to my ideals I also want to say, what's happening in your life? How's that new baby? Y'all adjusting okay? Y'all need anything? How can I pray for you? What's happening in your church? How can we pray for your church? Um, You know, and in that way, what I'm doing is saying, brother, I stand with you. What can I do? How can I pray? You know, I'm not just saying, here, you need to think in this way. Um, You know, it's, you know, true discipleship is relational so I say all that because I want to bring us back to um, you know taking a look at some scriptures we're going to continue to uh, look through and examine the scriptures um, and pick it up in uh, Matthew uh, 23 we it, it, if you recall well let me let me also pause just a second And say a couple things last week, I really appreciate Ben um, filling in for me and, uh, you know, jumping in there and teaching on the God of hope. Did anybody, uh, first of all, did anybody have any outstanding questions in relationship to that? I I do know there was one question that was bumped that uh, Ben said, hey, why don't you you, uh, ask Pastor Dan about that? Um, but is there, is there, anybody have any questions about the God of hope that Ben talked about last week? All right, well, so before I answer that question that's kind of hanging out there, let me just make an observation. He was sharing some points, uh, maybe as an outline. I know he read the introduction of this book, The God of Hope by Peter Lighthart. um, it's a relatively new book by Athanasius Press, and uh, I, I think it's very helpful. The, the the introduction, chapter one, and the last chapter, very practical. There is a little bit of deep theology, I think, in some of the central chapters, but the whole book is less than 100 pages. Um, so if you're interested in it, I do have a handful of copies upstairs. Um, for a mere $3, you can have a copy. Um, which is basically the cost from which I get them. Um, <clears throat> so the, the question, I believe, that uh, Jonathan White asked at the end of last week, um, I will, as, as I heard it, so this is a week later, paraphrase to me. I'm going to paraphrase it back to you. Uh, in the light of, um, we, for lack of a better term, maybe, replacement theology, that the church is, um, you know, has taken the place in the new covenant of the people of God, and so um, Israel doesn't act any longer as the priests to the nations. Um, The question is, um, should Israel exist um, in, in a political nation state today and I'm not sure if he was driving at the morality of the question, okay? Um, and, and I would say this. I would say that um, Zionists, that would be, this is just looking back historically, Zionists, those who were of, of Jewish descent that wanted to see Israel reestablished, um, I think took advantage to a certain degree of um, the, the dispensational theology out there and got a lot of Christians in the world motivated to, to try to reestablish that in establishing Israel in 1948. And, and my feeling is, okay, no problem. That's all fine. I think it's important, and, and actually Jonathan himself pointed out, and those of you that have um, maybe been to Israel, I um, mean, you, you get involved, they've certainly turned it into a, a Christian tourist Stop, and they're pretty good at that. But but they are as a nation. They're not godly. They're not attempting to uh, even worship uh, appropriately. And and frankly, um, they're not really interested in any kind of reestablishment. Um, they really see themselves as they truly are at this point: a people that are um, just of the the. Uh, the sons of Jacob. They're just a people group. They're another nation amongst the nations. And so, um, from a morality standpoint, yep, they should, you know, at this point, you know, we're a good deal removed from their establishment. That's, that's their deal. But I, I, you know, there's, there's no moral question here. It's just a matter of, okay, they're there. Wonderful. Great. They put together some tourist opportunities for Christians. Fine. Um, but you know what? What we need to do is is tackle the texts of Scripture as it relates to the close of the old covenant, um, the birth pains and the beginnings of the new covenant, and the establishment of, of God's people in the church. And and really, there's there's a larger point that we're trying to to head towards here. If We are the priests of the nations if we are to disciple all the nations, if we are to do these things. You know, the larger question is, why does this matter? Because how then should we live if we're supposed to be making disciples? That matters. If we are to disciple the nations, um, we need to have an optimistic view of God keeping His promises. It's so funny. In in so many ways, we believe God's promises— and then we say, oh, the nations will be discipled. God says that's our plan, that's our call. Well, that can't happen. What? What? Why is it that, that we discredit that uh, promise of God? And I think I think that's important for us to recognize that um, <clears throat> we need to consider these things. Um, anyone here know who James... W- oh, yes, sir. Well, sorry.
1: i, I I'm probably interrupting your train of thought, but going back... To- Sure. I thought he was asking about whether you know, Israel has an entitlement to that land and, and whether we as Christians have an obligation to support their continued possession of that land.
0: So I think, all right, so there's two questions there. If, if, that, if that's what we're heading towards, I'll, I'll say this. Um, if you've followed history, if you look at what has happened after every conflict, what happens? The victors draw new lines, right? Every war, every battle, ever—that's how it works, right? So, following uh, World War II, when they drew that up and they put Israel into place, okay, that's pretty normative. At this point, with. Wars as they are with our understanding of looking at things, I don't think we're going to see a lot of boundary lines changing moving forward. I could be wrong. I don't know how we'll think about it in the future. But, but as far as, you know, do they have a, a claim to that land? Well, I think, like, I'm Irish. I've got a claim to Ireland in one way. I mean, I'm mostly Irish, okay? But now, now I, I'm just talking about for, because we need to be thinking – scripturally old covenant new covenant are they tied to the land well the when when jesus and later on in matthew and we'll talk about this when we get to that point of the passage later on right um jesus is going to talk about the necessity you know the jerusalem's going to be destroyed the temple's going to be destroyed and um talking about fleeing right and we see in acts Um, We read where it says that the people began to sell their property, their land, right? And, And a lot of times people read into that and says they sold all their property and then that they had everything in common. A lot of people today read that and say, see, Marxism, socialism, right in the Bible. Well, they they were trying to work together for a particular cause, but but more than that, they recognized that no no longer were they tied to the land. There's going to be um no more point of of um uh, all of a sudden that fifty years the jubilee. jubilee. There'd be no more year of Jubilee where all like whatever you did with the land would revert back to you. Okay, that was over. And so um, they began to sell their property, knowing that they were going to be leaving Jerusalem, that the church would be going out past the land of Israel, and so, in in the the way that Israel was tied in the old covenant to the land is different today than it is than it was then. So, the answer is, from a biblical point of view, do they have a tie to the land any longer? I think the scriptures would teach us no. I would also say um, that in terms of our uh, defending of them, no more than we might have any other reason to be with other nations, um, you know, making decisions whether it's uh, politically expedient for our needs. And I would largely argue, excuse me, some of it is tied, our relations is tied to the fact we have an awful lot of Jewish folk in our, in our country, and that motivates the decisions that our politicians make, and that, you know that's um, fine to a degree. But, but to say that we need to um, pour, pour our entire army in there to fight off whatever, that's a different question altogether, and I don't think that the scriptures would maintain that. Yes, ma'am? Mm-hmm.
1: Is that forever? No. He says. He says in in, in Malachi three sixty,
0: "I am Lord. Mm-hmm. I change nothing. That's right. Now, he changed mind. He didn't change his mind. You had a comment? Yeah,
1: I just the, the thing that I they're setting their sights too low. You know, Jesus owns the universe. You know, I'm thinking in Hebrews. He inherits all things. We're co-heirs with him, you know. So that little chunk of land over there is was just a, a, a foretaste of, you know, of what we now possess. And to be arguing over that little, you know, piece of real estate over there, you know, we've had a whole universe to gardenize, you know. And it's just, you know, it's looking to the past to a, you know, to a, an initial installment on a a much much greater promise so so i think you know and and who is abraham you know it's it's the seed of the world right so ultimately you know not only does abraham's uh, descendants inherit that land, they inherit the entire universe
0: so and, and i would agree with that and i'm not trying to minimize the importance of how god used abraham but each one of the covenants successive covenants is is a shadow of the of the things to come, right? So, um, you you know you look at the the covenant with Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, and who is the who is the greater David, Jesus Christ? It it is uh, I I think important for us to recognize that it, it's a it's about go go back to the garden. Right? The river of, of life is flowing out of the garden from the presence of God. It's flowing out, and then it turns into four rivers that goes to where? The four corners of the earth. And that is the language, a symbolic language of covering the entire earth. Right? And that's that's the point that, that our brother Rick is trying to make, is that it's it is it is progressing forward to encompass all. Of the world all of the peoples all of the nations all of the land and so it's it's no longer um in that way so we could you know what what ought to be our number one call with israel how do we preach the gospel there and convert those people to jesus christ that that's that's our call yes
1: of that as being the real Jerusalem, but like you're thinking, no. Is that
0: what? I, I'm trying to understand. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Wonderful. Because he says, You shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he?
1: So is that the real Jerusalem that's going to say, Blessed is he? Comes with, like, are you thinking, like, I, I'm going, going to come down.
0: no so uh we it it was actually a place we were we were heading to but but um i I think it's important for us to recognize you know heaven and earth when when they come together right what we are looking at is there's no more barrier um no more firmament no more division of um, the throne room of God and earth through the work of Jesus Christ through his people right we, we have access to the throne room of God and and so um, the we, we were going to pick up in 23 here so let's let's it's important that
1: it's Mm-hmm. We're gonna be judged as nations. And how we did with the gospel ourselves and our, especially our nation that was founded upon the very principles of God and so those men they came here and set this system up with as
0: only heavenly minded. So so I would absolutely say that the United States and every other country and people group see we we that this is actually covenantally how things work right we are both individually responsible for our actions and we are covenantally joined to others and in that way we are um, we face God's blessing or judgment in our faithfulness to this you, you can't separate those two it, this is why, why why do you think we have um, evil rulers anybody Judges. it's judgment God always sets up wicked leaders as a, and it's, it's a judgment to the, the, the church, the faithfulness of the church, right? So I think, I think the question comes back to repentance of sins and how do we evangelize the nations. I'm, I, I, I think the degrees of separation, and I know for some these are, are somewhat newer concepts, but, but, I, but part of it is the, the, the time frame of what's being discussed here. And I think if we work through 23, 24, 25 over the next several weeks, that we'll, we'll make the case of the time frame, which then helps us to understand other passages uh, moving forward. So, um, good, we still have some time to get into some of the text. So, um, you know, we, we, I, if, you, if you recall, we talked about the last time the two Um, the two visits to the temple, um, how that reflects out of Leviticus 14, finding uh, leprosy or uncleanness, unfaithfulness uh, in the temple, and how uh, just as the uh, breaking down of a leprous house after the second visit uh, would cause then the would, would then cause the, the building, the house, to be torn down. Jesus is, is doing that very same thing when he makes his projection that, that the temple would be torn down. We, we, have, we kind of set that out last time, <clears throat> and now we're going to take a look at um, chapter 23. And then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe... That you observe and do, but not according to their works. For they say, and they do not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them, not with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." So <clears throat> before Jesus goes in and declares woes, right? So he's, he's going into the Jerusalem, or into the temple, and then he goes out at the end of the day, and he comes back several times here. <clears throat> and before he comes to the, the last uh, visit where he proclaims um, its complete judgment, he continues to speak to them. And so here he is. He's in the temple. He's making these statements uh, in relationship to um the the pharisees in relationship to the priests that are there and all the leaders and you'll see that as you go through the text that there's all kinds of folks there And we talked about the different people that were there both um, the sadducees the essenes the herodians the pharisees we've already talked about those groups but he comes in and then he begins to speak these woes and um i left i don't know that there are any up there anymore but i left um, a, a chiasm that showed the seven, the the, the woes, and then also um, there's some, some literature out there that talks about how these are actually in contrast to the beatitudes, and you can you can find a contrast here. The blessings and the beatitudes, and here are the the woes or the judgments um, here in Matthew 23. But let's read these woes. But woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut them up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. So he, he, he's giving him this, you know, you, talking to those people in that room, Right? You, scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, right? And it says that you shut up heaven. What is it talking about? Remember, they, they continue to push everybody out. We're the special people, right? And if you can't live up to our standards that we put up on the outside, all the fancy ways we go about this, they are actually where it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember, we talked about that. That's emptiness. They're carrying the name of the Lord in, in such derision that they're just doing it as empty and they have all these things that make them look fancy, but they're carrying nothing right? But they but th- then they go even farther, right? It says you, d- you do all this and you do it by devouring widows houses. What does that what does that mean? It says that they're taking the money from the widows so they can they can live their fancy lives and cut people off from God. They're stealing. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Now, you got to understand how, how strong this language is. And, and part of this is you got to understand hell, Guyana, that word, that, that was the, the name for the trash pile burning outside of Jerusalem. Okay, so if you're trying to follow all the rules and you've added over the years all these extra rules about how to stay extra clean on the outside, the one place you don't want to be is in the trash dump, which burns forever. And he says, you know, you guys are so unclean, you're actually in the burning trash dump outside. And you make men, when you go and, you, you know, you don't, you're not trying to save the nations. You go and find someone You're going to go get them, you're going to draw them in, and they're going to turn them to twice a son of the burning trash as you. Right? I mean, this is really strong language, accusatory language, that Jesus is bringing upon them. He goes on to say, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold? or the temple that sanctifies the gold and whoever swears by the altar is nothing but whoever swears by the gift on the altar is obliged to perform it fools and blind which is greater the gift or uh, excuse me which is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it and all the things on it he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it And he who swears by the heavens swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So again, he makes this, you know, you guys, again, even so much as how you guys make your promises and how you swear things out, you've made distinctions that God never intended. You're going in, and again, this is all about, see, this is, again, I mentioned in the very beginning about how in the reform circles we we divide, 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 Right? push people out we got this figured out you don't have it figured out you're over there we're over here we're, we're more close to god that's all that's all crap okay i'm just saying it this is what he's saying right here he's saying don't do this you are called to go and make disciples of the nations you're the priest of the nations you should be going and establishing the, the houses of God, teaching the people, discipling the people, all that God has commanded, how to be reconciled to God, how to be ready for, for, for Christ when he comes. And all you're doing is, is saying, you know, we're going to make up all these extra rules. I'm going to tell you the truth. We have enough contention, even in the forgiveness of our sins, to contend with the real issues we have in life. Let's not add extra rules. Let us submit ourselves to God's word and not add extra things to it. So he, he goes on and says in verse 23, woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, it's a couple of things here. One is... Um, You know there are certainly some small things you can do, um, and and you know no one's clear on exactly what the what the idea was between the spices and and this worship. Um, There's some speculative. I won't get into that, but I think, you know, the little things you can do, the little things, focus on the little things. That makes me so good. But he says you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. I'm going to say something: justice, mercy and faith. There is no Christianity outside of those three things. Justice, mercy, and faith. We deserve God's justice. God gives us mercy, and in faith, we confess our sins and believe that Jesus is Lord and He's forgiven us. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And he says, you do all this, and you're so blind. You're trying to lead people. You don't see a thing because you're so concerned about these little things that have no weight. Again, carrying emptiness, and he says, he says you, you leave these things undone, and he says, you strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Now, we have a tendency in our modern eyes just to simply say, um, yep, something small, something big. But you have to understand that a gnat would not be something you'd want around you or in your food or whatnot. That's all fine. That's true. That would be a cleanliness issue, an unclean thing but you realize that a camel is an unclean animal and it's a really big unclean animal, right? So you're so worried about taking care of this little thing that's really just a nuisance and you got your fork and knife and you're eating this super unclean animal. (laughs) Okay? You're feasting on the wrong things. I know I'm being entertaining, huh? (laughs) So, but, but I mean, he's making a point. He's pointing out He's pointing out all these things that they're doing that that are about themselves and their pride and their glory and not about um, justice, mercy, and faith. He goes on in verse 25, Woe to you, and again, remember, he's talking to these particular people standing right there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside of them may be clean also. By the way, I'm going to pause right here. Just Can you imagine this? Jesus is coming in there. His disciples are there. The, the temple is slap full of people there for Passover. Right? And he is saying these things. Um, have you ever been in a room where even though you know the person is right, that they're speaking... And you know that everybody in the room is like, oh, my goodness, right? What is happening here? I know, we've all been thinking it, but he's saying it, (laughs) right? Can you imagine the level of tension that that this took um, and, and had in the room, all right? So then he goes even further, Right, he says, you know, you're living, you're blind, but you're you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Right, you see this theme, and then he goes, verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inwardly are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Uncleanness. Listen, you remember dead men's bones? If you touch those, you had to go through this whole cleaning regimen and you had to be outside the places of god right um till you finish those those cleanliness rites so jesus is saying it's not even so much as that you touched one but man you're just full of it on the inside that is how unclean you are and he says even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we have lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Now, you know, they're going, it's always interesting. You know, when, when someone today donates money, To a hospital to an organization Uh, what do they do they're all glad to have it right but what do they do as part of the acknowledgement they slap a plaque on it this is donated in in memory of so and so or you know um, when uh, Pat Sajak was here and giving all that money to to the hospital you know the Sajak pavilion and and all of that, you know, you used to live up on the Severn River there, okay? <clears throat> but, but so this was this was their place, and so they gave lots of money. That's why all those things are called Sajak over there, right? You go to where I was living before, and the hospital was there. And listen, you know, we, we had the, the, even the shelter that I ran. We, we had a, a, an elderly lady whose vision it was, and she did it for years before we, we you know, she got got sick and we needed to take over, and so as we've built the, the 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 um area to eat we're putting her name as you know it's 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 her dinner hall right we do that in acknowledgement here they're they're out there decorating the tombs think about this they're decorating what the tombs of the murdered prophets they're making it all shiny on the outside even though they are behaving in the same manner that their fathers did they're making dead the dead oh we're going to recognize him and we wouldn't have been like our parents says every person that ever lived right i'm not going to be like my parents and every once in a while right we look at ourselves like oh man that's right but 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 what what so jesus then says this in verse 31 after he says after he says points out that they say they wouldn't be partakers with them. He says, therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. Now, what, what does it say in the Bible about, um, about the sins of the fathers? To the third and fourth generation. Okay, how does that stop? How, how do the curse of generational sin stop? Repentance, Repentance and confession of sin, right? And so they, they, Jesus has already said, y'all don't repent. You're full of death. You're full of lawlessness. You are totally unclean. You're not obedient to God. So you are not repenting of your sins. And he says, so, so you're witnesses to yourself. You, you are just like them. And, of course, we know what's going to happen several chapters from now, right? They're not going to just kill any prophet. They're going to kill Jesus Christ, the Son, himself. And he says this, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between where? The temple and the altar. As assuredly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So he's actually saying, so um, the this word temple here really ought to be would be better translated as the the holy of holies so he was killed between the altar and the holy of holies and Abel is the first person murdered Zechariah the prophet is killed and we could get into how we know that for sure because it seems like it at first shot that's not so that it's a different Zechariah but, but uh, the general consensus in good exegesis is that this is the prophet Zechariah, who's killed. And he he's killed here in the temple. You know what go back to the woes about about uh, swearing on the temple and swearing on the altar. You guys are so wicked that you actually killed the prophet between those two things. See, these these sections are all connected. We have to, to see those and, and make those connections. And he says, Assuredly, I say to you that all these things, that is all the judgments in regards to from Abel, right? This is this is the covenant sin from Abel all the way to killing Zechariah, all the prophets, right there in the temple, all of that judgment is going to come upon what? What does it say? This generation. This generation. Now, this is really important. Okay, this generation. And even though I've read a bunch of commentaries and listened to it, I looked at it the Greek and myself to see if there was any way to get around this because some folks look at this and say, no, it isn't this generation. Jesus is speaking to the, these people. And you remember a little bit later on, um, in, in, on the night that Christ is, is betrayed and goes to trial, they're going to say, let his blood be upon us and what? Our and our children. They're doing the same thing that they are, that they've done with their parents. They're going to take the blood of the prophets and the blood of the Son, and it's going to all be on them, and they're they're transferring it right to their kids. But he he says that all of this will come upon this generation. Nothing that Jesus is saying here in chapter 23, it should be, I mean, there are lessons for us to learn. There are things for us to pay attention to, to guard from. But this message that Jesus is speaking here is being spoken directly to particular people at that particular time, and then he makes this line where he says, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, this word generation here, genea, is shows up 42 times in the New Testament, and it always means the same thing, all 42 times. It means the people living in this 40 year gap 40 year generation okay and we could argue maybe it's 33 40 but it, but it's it's basically those alive right now okay one generation we typically see that as you know 30 to 40 years okay so he's saying here you go in four, you know by the time that this generation ends right what's going to happen that that, The judgment is coming upon them. And then he says to your question on verse 37 see what we've got. Okay. We'll read this and we'll tag in. We'll get into it deeply the next time. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I had wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings, but you were not willing. Your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And so it then says in, in chapter twenty-four, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Okay, and so at th- this is the this is this transition. He departs from the temple. You're not going to see him anymore. And and remember all of these things. He's saying, you know, this this particular section. This is going to come true within this generation and so we'll we'll tag in we'll dig more in it and of course it's important because it's going to take us all the way through 25 chapter 25 to kind of put these together and what we'll do just so you kind of have an idea is when we complete this section we'll go and we'll hit some individual verses um in the scriptures um you know maybe some other we'll, we'll say passages that are used in in, in this uh you know that that appear at some points to pertain to things that fits more into a dispensational eschatology, or or, or in things. Yes, ma'am. We're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and pray for the peace of Washington D.C., and pray for China, and pray for all these cities. Absolutely. And, and will not our prayers be answered at a certain time? Absolutely. When the when the when the nations are converted. Well, it's always God's providence, right? Yes. Right? And it says the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. That's right. And they well, the That's true. Yep. But he only chose one place to give to Abraham. That's right. And that but, but, but that was the launching point. And, 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 and you see, our, what, what, we, what we need to recognize is, is that, that God is using the church, which includes both Jews and Gentiles, to evangelize the world all of it all of the peoples all of the nations right um we're, we are and and of course and, and i was going to say this at the beginning i'll close with this and then we can dig into this some more next week and that is to say anybody here know who james white is okay um, he's a uh reformed baptist fella, um and uh he's he's actually a great apologist he's debated all kinds of folks. He's deba- debated atheists, he's debated um, uh, Muslims, he's debated all kinds of different folks, and sometimes even within the church, and as long as that's done for the edification, and, and I've not seen him be otherwise, um, that could be helpful too. But he, he made an interesting comment. He says, There's nothing that gets you to think about generational things than when you become a grandparent. Okay? Because when it's just your kids, you know, you're kind of right there with them. But then when, you, when your kids have kids, you begin to recognize the fact of thinking more generationally. You start thinking about how do I pass this, not just to my kids, but to my kids' kids. And you know what? I'm going to lay down until the resurrection, right? At some point, we're going to die. It's appointed once every man to die. And then until the resurrection. But God, in his mercy, and one of the things we should be praying for is that the gospel continue in our children and our children's children and, in the, and and not just our own, but all the adopted children. You know, you guys, we all take an oath when we take do these baptisms, right? We are all. So how are we praying? How are we thinking generationally? How are we thinking about the church? The church here locally, the church in our broader community, and the church to the very ends of the earth, which, of course, includes israel let us pray our god and our father we thank you for this day i pray that your word uh, would guide us that we would uh, look to you for all things heavenly father i pray you prepare our hearts for for worship and we look forward to the renewal of your covenant promises to us that without them without your faithfulness we would be undone thank you for your grace and mercy in jesus name amen